Hey guys, Danny Brown. Thanks for joining me on the deal. Today we have a legendary athlete in snowboarding, Todd Richards. He's a world champion snowboarder, gold medalist, X Games, Olympian, US champion. He really set the stage uh, and changed the game up with the skate style that he brought into snowboarding and the half pipe and paved the way for Sean White and others like that. Uh, Todd is an incredible guy, good surfer lives locally well southern california down at encinitas hopefully i'll be surfing surfing with him soon but appreciate him joining us here hear about the early days in the sport and extreme sports and how it's taken off and become a mainstream sport like anything so uh listen up and hope you enjoy it as much as i do Hey guys, welcome to The Deal. Today I have a special guest, Todd Richards, a legend in snowboarding, one of the uh, initial uh, world champions, X Games, Olympian. You really pushed the sport forward back in the 90s. So welcome to The Deal, Todd. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. Just existing. <laughs> hey, that's good. Groundhog's Day is real. Encinitas, California is not a bad place to shelter. No, it's really not. And... Uh... We've got it really good. We, you know, the weather's been super nice. And fortunately, uh, being a surfer, we can go in the water every day. So I get to go to my um, awesome. wet, th wet therapist every morning. Yeah. Are you going with the kids? Um, they, my son, he has a, he surfs a different spot. My daughter, actually, my son. Okay. So my daughter, she's uh, 15 and my son is 18. Right. So he's in his senior year and his high school kind of doesn't have their whole act together with the online schooling. Got it. My daughter goes to a different school. They're on it. She's in school from nine o'clock to three o'clock every day. Oh, so so it's she's like, taken care of. Yeah, she's taken care of. But, <laughs> you know, it kind of like leads to the, a lot of shushing around the house. Like, yeah. So where quiet. is he? What, what break is he surfing and what break He's, are you surfing? I surf a, a spot called Beacons and yeah. uh, my son surfs a spot called Swami's. I love it. It's one yeah. of my favorite places in the world. And hopefully we'll see you again this summer. We come down every summer. Uh, your wife is one of my wife's favorite people, but we hope to get there soon, especially now with school wrapping up. Yeah, so Todd, sure. I have you for this short period of time. I wanted to get into how you got to be where you are. You started initially as a skater early mm -hmm. back in the eighties. You weren't an, uh, a Southern California kid. You were an East coast kid, mm -hmm. but uh, you know, skateboarding evolved into snowboarding and you then took the, took snowboarding to a whole freestyle level and kind of paved the way for Sean White and some of these other now new, world champions but tell talk us back to how how your life was back east what sports were you playing was it only skating surfing i, mean, I don't even know if you were surfing but um, were you into other sports and how did you grow up in terms of athletics well in terms of athletics not very i was a i was a little runt of a kid i was more into star wars figures than i was into sports yeah um you know i played uh, I played baseball, I played hockey, but it was more of because it was like, like a, a, a social thing, like a, mm -hmm. a cultural thing to do in New England where I grew up. So I never really enjoyed it. Um, I think, you know, when I got into high school and I kind of got in with a whole group of, of kids that were basically listening to punk rock and skating at that point was 
like an offshoot of that. And I yes. never really, I never really been passionate about anything except for like maybe candy up until that point. So it was like, you know, to find a, to find a sport that I could progress at my own uh, rate. And there, it was really an individual sport. There wasn't, you know, there really wasn't anyone to cheer you on. It was more like you were getting spit on and made fun of, but it didn't matter because the, the sense of like self-success when you like landed a trick or like, you know, figured something out because I mean, at this point there wasn't, this is the eighties, right? Yeah. You're there's talking. no, there's no videos really. There's only magazines. And what you see in like Thrasher magazine back then was like, you saw somebody in a position on a page and you're like, you have to work it out in your head. How did they get in that position? Right. So it was like, it was a lot of like real experimentation as far as like throwing your body through the air pretty much. Yeah. There was no YouTube. There was no, no. professional league. It was no X game. I mean, that's a pretty, it was pretty much an underground culture. Uh, growing up as a kid here, the, the Santa Monica, Dogtown, Venice days, that's the time period. So you're back East, you're getting mm -hmm. into skating. It's people building, do it yourself, building ramps. At some point, you obviously were pushing the limits because you weren't just skating to the store or skating to school. So talk to me about how it started getting more advanced and then how you transitioned from skating into another very new sport at the time, snowboarding. Sure. Um, well, so it kind of it, it blew up for me. Um, you know, like I said, I, I, wasn't really, I wasn't really a popular kid, but, but within our little crew, I was so driven to like get better and you know, just, I was constantly in search of like that dopamine rush from like learning a trick that I just consumed like everything about skateboarding just got better and better till finally, um, you know, I was one of the best kids around our, our small microcosm of riders. So it was just, you know, kind of like chomping at it like that and really being hungry for it and being hungry for something that didn't, that was outside the norms. Like, it was alternative. Started, yeah, it was very alternative. And we kind of like, we fed off of the fact that people didn't like us and we were different. And Outcasts. And, yeah, and, and like girls' parents didn't like them hanging out with us. And like, we, you know, we just fully, it was punk rock. Skating was full punk rock back then. And But you, you're clearly taking the skating part of it seriously, competing, not competing uh, in terms of a league, but with yourself yeah, like, and pushing the limits. And locally too, but at that point, like having skateboarding be a career was not like wasn't a valid, an option. No, yeah. it's not it like it was in option. California with, you know, we, we thought Tony Hawk and all these guys, they had like made up names. I didn't know anyone named Tony yeah. Hawk. It just sounded like, yeah, like, sound like wrestling names. Early. That was, yeah. Even then, that was so different than now. It wasn't like a real career. It was, you know, yeah, it was, it was sponsorship. especially back east because like, you know, I, I grew up in a very blue collar area in Worcester, Mass, and it was you know, that kind of, that kind of stuff was, you know, fruits and nuts of California. That's this, these are, this doesn't exist. Like California was its own place and space. It wasn't anything that was reality. Yeah. So anyways, I went to school. I, after I graduated, I went to school for graphic design um, in New Hampshire and we happened to be right next to a, uh, a mountain and it was, um, what you know, mountain is it? It was Gunstock mountain in New Hampshire. And the deal was is that it was so cold and snowy in the wintertime that I had to find something else to do. There weren't any ramps there. So all of a sudden, I kind of just was snowboarding a lot. 
Now and this then, is now what early nineties or still eighties? Uh, this is this is eighties still. This is probably eighty. I graduated high school in nineteen eighty seven, so this is eighty eight. Eighty eight. So what, what does a snowboard even look like at that point? So few well, people were doing it. They're not. I mean, it, you'd be surprised how uh, how the sport, where the sport was at that point. I mean, it wasn't like the the equipment now, where like your grandmother can learn how to snowboard in twenty minutes. It's, it yeah. was like you know you had to really put in time and effort and you also like it helped you if you came from a background of of being able to stand sideways on something else so yeah it just you know i started to snowboard a lot because the the winter it snowed a lot back then and um yeah just all of a sudden it kind of just clicked and it was uh something that happened completely by accident that's for sure so what is the moment if you can remember where it became hey i'm a young kid snowboarding skating to all of a sudden wait this is leading me to a bigger world out there. There's mm-hmm. an opportunity for me to get into some sort of professional or sponsorship situation. How long did it take before you were in that position? What was that moment like? Cause again, the world of extreme sports and snowboarding and skating was just, it wasn't like it is today at all. It was, a yeah, no, it was, phase. It was the beginning of what we have now. So I guess it, I guess it like started, um, there was a regional contest series called the New England Cup, and it was all through Vermont and New Hampshire. You would go and compete. And I think first place for the overall for the year was 500 bucks. Nice. And we were talking like 1988, 500 bucks to a kid who like lives Huge. at home. Dude, that was like 500 bucks. Like I think my first yeah. car cost 500 bucks. So I was like, right, right. You're, you're going around, you're traveling, Dolly. you're going on, you're retiring. Right. So it was after, after that, um, you know, I, I want a little money and I, I had a chance to kind of like um, get some notoriety and I got sponsored by Sim Snowboards and then they started flying me around the U.S. And this is, at this point in time, I'd only been on an airplane once before. Wow. So, so this was like, I went from zero to a hundred from not really flying anywhere to all of a sudden like I'm flying all over the place. Wow. So, so it, it happened, happened really fast. It happened real fast. Your really life fast. changed. So we're going to fast forward. Now you've, you've, you were the first Olympics, the first Olympics that had snowboarding. Yep. You won gold medals at X games. You've won world champions. You've taken it as far as the, the industry and as far as your sport can go. You've done that. Uh, but the interesting part, which I keep coming back to is now it's a massive business and it's a mainstream sport and, and kids today you know, snowboarding and skating and surfing, it's almost like, okay, it's like baseball and soccer. And, you know, it, it's not, but it's almost along those Pretty lines. It's, ma- it's massive. And in some areas, if you grew up in Encinitas, you grew up in those areas, it is just as big. Well, uh, so the, I'm just this, trying to think about what was the lifestyle during the transition? What was it like back then before? Because it, it wasn't accepted. Well, the, a great way to look at it is that, you know, when we were in high school, um, the jocks were your typical stick and ball, a letterman jackets guys. Now yeah. with my son going to high school. Now the surfers are the jocks. That's the surfers and skaters are the popular guys in town. I'm, and it's I'm like, sure. and I, it's so hard for me to wrap my brain around that because like just all those years of just taking it from the older kids and just being the butt of all the jokes to all of a sudden, like, these, these are the cool guys like blowing around town. And I'm like, you guys have no idea what we dealt with. So you could sit yeah. here and, and 
bask in well, this light. It's really a testament. You've really changed culture, right? Through sports, you've really completely changed fashion, music, culture, it all kind of blended together. Yeah. And you were right at the forefront of it. So tell me a little bit about once the, once you got into the game professionally and became, started becoming contests and you're winning gold medals, what, what was your, what was your sort of routine like? I mean, were you a, were you training like any professional athlete or was it different because you guys were still sort of the alternative party animal types? Like what, tell us a little bit about the, the training and what's going on behind the scenes in the sport. I think at that point, I mean, it's not like it is now, like a lot of kids these days, um, they have trainers and they're on really strict regiments. But for us, it was, there wasn't really, training was still considered kind of jockey. So our training would be in the summertime, I would skateboard. And in the wintertime, I would ride as many days in a row as I possibly could, at least go up on the hill. It was just all about like, reps, just yeah, reps and staying on it. And I mean, I was living at, in Breckenridge, Colorado at 10,000 feet and I would hike the half pipe all day long. Like you're hiking so I would, yeah, I would hike it because the lifts weren't fast enough to give me my, you know, my run. So, you know, then we would come and compete in California and I would be, I'd been training at 10,000 feet for months and I would Got come it. out to California and just like run up the pipe. Got so it. it was like, it was this conditioning that was happening without me really knowing it. Um, yeah. and that's, you know, it's, it's the fit, the, the disguised fitness, the hidden fitness, I think that is you know, kind of wrapped up in other things that, that really kind of kept me, kept me going and kept me healthy. Yeah. So you were hitting it though every day. I mean, oh, yeah. This was, this was serious. It was an yeah. everyday thing. You were getting, getting your reps in and tell me once you, um, once the X games came on the scene, what, how did that change things now that there was like this global ESPN on TV, everyone's watching, did that take everything to the next level pretty much immediately? Or what was that like? Well, before the X Games, we had, um, there were events that were televised, but they weren't, they were kind of just like here and there, maybe like hidden at like, you know, two o'clock in the morning on NBC or CBS or something like that. Yeah. But once X Games came in and the visionary for that was Ron Simeo, who came up with the term, the extreme, it was at first it was the extreme games. And the very first one was held in Providence, Rhode Island, no, New Newport, Rhode Island. And so they had two, two events in Newport, Rhode Island of like BMX skateboarding. Um, there was like bungee jumping and downhill skateboard luge and like free climbing and skies. It was like this crazy smattering of all these alternate sports that they, there was something there. So we were, we were all, we would watch the X Games because it was like this huge spectacle of, of skateboarding was on TV and, and they were treating the athletes really well and the athletes were getting paid decently and like it was building heroes kind of like the way that that a traditional sports show would yeah and then they announced they're going to do the winter x games and we were like whoa we're going to get our chance and it was it was like it was you know love it or hate it within our sport there's always people that are kind of pros and cons yeah. yeah but for us for the people that competed it was the biggest stage to compete on you know at that point for sure and tell me, so who were the early uh, pioneers besides you? I don't want to say pioneers because obviously it started even before you, but you right. really changed the whole freestyle and doing skate tricks and snowboards, which has now evolved to the Sean Whites and now has evolved to that next generation. Yeah. But tell me, like, who were the early guys that were really pushing the sport that you were looking up to and, and influenced by? 
when I first started and first started competing, it was Terry Kidwell, who is the, the godfather of, of all freestyle snowboarding. He's the first one that actually well. made, it, made it look like, like skateboarding on the snow. And then Sean Palmer, who was like the original bad boy, full punk rock, like attitude. <laughs> and then Jeff Brushy from Vermont. He was a, he was a huge influence of ours. He was like the first guy that really made it in freestyle Craig Kelly. Um, and then you kind of go through the years of these, of these kids, these legends, Danny Cass and Ross powers who would go on to win uh, the gold medal when the Olympics were in Salt Lake in 2002. And, you know, all these casts of characters over the years that have been, you know, these are, these are the best of the best, but a lot of them, they, until up until about 10 years ago, a lot of these guys were the same dudes and they, we would all continue to compete together. And it wasn't until about 10 years ago, 15 years ago that the new crop came up and Sean White led that crop. And then all of a sudden now, if you're not pro or sponsored or going somewhere by the time you're 15, you're pretty much, (laughs) You're not, even, you're not even going to pull. I didn't start snowboarding until I was like 16 or 17. Wow. So Wow. Which makes sense then versus now. Now, if you're born, uh, you know, you could be snowboarding at one or two years old yeah, and it's, it's doing it competitive, just like soccer, baseball, basketball, any of the other sports. And it's socially wow. acceptable too. And that's the thing is like, you know, there's, it's a viable career choice. People see Sean White sure. as the you're model. And Chloe Kim. Yeah. Like they're, okay, well, we can get our, toddler on a snowboard and next thing you know they're burnt out by 60 so it's like you know it's it's a it's a weird one to wrap my brain around how how it's uh it really is a viable career choice and there are coaches and there are soccer moms and dads and snowboarding and skateboarding these days and it's it's different it's a different landscape than it was when i grew up absolutely so talk me through there's got to be some just crazy wipeout stories and injury stories that you've been through and that you've seen. Can you share some of that stuff? I mean, it's painful. You don't just learn to do a nine four or whatever you guys are doing. Twist it. You know, there's some some wicked painful falls in the learning process. Well, yeah, and it's it's. I've only really broke one. I shattered my elbow where it goes into my um, my humerus, Oof. but that was like it. Like you know, I had oh really? Super, That's it? Yeah, like I. It was, it was just kind of like a thing where you learn how to fall. The, the, most, the thing that I think, when I talk to people about getting hurt snowboarding, I think the first, first six or seven times snowboarding are probably the most dangerous because it's like you're, you're like a baby deer on ice. You're out there and your wrists are really vulnerable, your knees, yeah. your head. When you start to push things and you take it slow, like we were, we were evolving our sport with the size of the jumps. So it wasn't like second week snowboarding, I'm going to hit a 60 foot kicker that didn't exist yet. So we were already getting good and then we would master. And then the next year the jump would get a little bigger and a little bigger. So we had a a very linear, linear trajectory. Now it's like second week snowboarding, here's the snowboard park and there's yeah. the hundred footer and here's the 22 foot deep super pipe. So it's a little bit different now, but, but I say, I say like the first week or the first few times snowboarding, that is when you're in the danger zone. <laughs> so. For sure. For sure. I got to imagine though, some of these guys, you, you got lucky to not have so many injuries. Some of these guys have, I know Sean yeah. White's had so many injuries and well, uh, all these guys have, cause it's uh, you fall from your 30, 40, 50 feet in the air and you fall on hard ice. Something's yeah. going to go. You're falling out of a building. Like the jumps are so big now and the consequences of landing on the lip of the half pipe from 20 feet up, it's, you're literally falling out of a building onto concrete. 
So it is, the injuries are a lot worse now. There's a lot of, uh, you know, helmets are mandatory. Helmets oh, are, yeah. they, those were just like, uh, who wears helmets back oh, in the day. Oh, you guys didn't even wear helmets. No, it was like, uh, <laughs> the helmets were like, a helmet. Like, yeah. but that was just, that's just who we were, you know? Yeah. And, um, but nowadays it's, it's serious. It's serious. You got to learn how to fall as you learn how to do tricks off jumps. Yeah. So in your mind, who are some of the top athletes in the field now that are doing it and pushing it to the next level, whether it's skaters, surfers, snowboard. I mean, I know there's a lot of talented, yeah. I mean, across I'll, I'll the just, board, I'll, I'll, but I'll I mean, the, the amount of talent you need to even be a pro is beyond mind blowing. I'll give you this in just in terms of who we might see in the next uh, Olympics for skateboarding and snowboarding. Sure, so there you go. on the men's side of things, Nigel Houston for, for skate, he is, he skateboards like a video game. It's, he's so perfect, so precise. He lands everything and yeah. he is a competitive machine. Makes so it look so easy. He really does. He makes it look really, really easy. And then, um, <laughs> on the women's side of things for skateboarding, there's a lot of young Japanese skateboarders that are just they train and they go out there and they're doing, tr they're doing tricks that like, you know, 20 years ago, it, the, like it's, it's really sexist to say, but we didn't take women skateboarding seriously. It was like, Oh, but now the, the sport has come right. so far and it's, it's incredible. Like it's probably my favorite thing to commentate both on, on snowboarding and skateboarding because every event you're seeing explosive progression. And wow. so in, in skateboarding, you would look to the Japanese coming up and there's like 10 or 15 young Japanese girls under 17 that are incredible. And then on snowboarding side of things, you've got Chloe Kim, who, who's basically leading in the women's field. And she stepped away to go to Princeton this year. She just stopped <laughs> snowboarding, went to Princeton, and then now she's going to come back and go into That's snowboarding uh, again next year. And then, you know, Sean is still on top. If he decides yeah. that he wants to come back and, and compete at the Olympics, there really isn't a lot of people that can hand it to him as far as, uh, you know, having contest wherewithal. There's a, there's a kid named Scotty James from Australia who I, I personally think is the most technical snowboarder that's ever ridden the half pipe. But Sean, Sean is, the, is the best competitor that's ever lived in snowboarding. Well, and you got to put them up there with the best competitors of professional sports Period. ever, the Michael Jordans and the Tom Brady's and, you know, oh, forget yeah. the sport. You don't do that without having that mental edge and that toughness and competitiveness, which is a big part of this show. And what interesting point I wanted to sort of hit on that now with you guys, you were the bridge between it becoming this hobbyist or alternative activity to becoming on the global stage. Uh, that Olympics, what was it? 98, the first Olympics, 98. Yeah. That was so you, the were, first, you were a first part moment. of the first Olympics. So tell oh, me a little bit about that experience. Here you guys are these snowboarders, these punkers. Now you're at the Olympics. This yeah. is no joke. What is um, that experience like? Well, we kind of felt like Guinea pigs at that one. It was, were. Um, we were, I mean, we, we really were, and it wasn't, uh, the, we had just going there. I didn't know what to expect. Like no one really can prepare you what it's like to walk into opening ceremony. You know, you can. Was that Japan? Were you? Japan? No, it was Japan. No. It was in Nagano, yeah. Japan. That's right. And I kind of went into it like, oh, this is another contest. And then you sit down for opening ceremony, Such and an you event. experience this thing that like you've seen on TV before, and you're you're in, in it. there. It's you. <laughs> Your brain just explodes, and then the amount of media coverage that 
that, you know, we had some, we thought we knew what media coverage was coming into the Olympics. We had no idea. No you know, clue. No clue. Everything that you say, don't say anything. Anything you can say can be taken out of context and used somewhere else. So it was like, we didn't have a lot of media training at that point. Um, <laughs> you know, there was a lot of like the, the whole thing with Ross, Rubigliotti from Canada, t- you know, testing positive for weed. At oh, that God. Point. And, and that, that overtook the entire snowboarding at the, the Olympics. Didn't matter what happened in the half pipe or whatever. But the day that we competed, it poured rain. Every other event was canceled. It was raining on the half pipe? Not just raining, like monsoonal pouring rain. Oh, So we were just like, ugh. So, you know, it was one, it was very... um, Horrible conditions. Horrible conditions. But, you know, it was an experience and I was part of it and I didn't do very well because I just, just, you know, it was, wasn't my day to shine. And I really don't think that the Olympics, like snowboarding the Olympics... The, the 98 was kind of a wash, but in 2002 in Salt Lake City at the base of Park City Mountain Resort, yeah. with the sun out, with the red hot chili peppers playing. That was just awesome. It the arrived. amount of people that were there and Ross and the, the sweep by the men. I mean, that was. Who won that? Who Ross won that? Powers. Yeah. Ross Powers. Won. Now that was like in a moment of we've arrived. Right. You know, it really like was. The, it's like the world, if you didn't know it, now you know. This is what the generation that coming up is into. This is a new thing. This, this is real. It's not yeah. just – so that's incredible. So tell me some of your other big wins. You've won X Games. You've won World Champions. What are some, some moments, that highlights that you can talk us through? Well, probably the, the biggest deal for us as snowboarders, and it probably still is this in our sport, is the U.S. Open. And the U.S. Open was traditionally held – at Stratton Mountain, Vermont, which was like my backyard. That's where I cut my teeth in snowboarding. And so the U.S. Open was basically this this gathering, this woodstock of snowboarding from across the globe where everyone would compete in March at this event. And the fans on the East Coast are like no other fans on the planet. You know, you you think you're passionate about the Patriots, Tom Brady. It's like that for snowboarding too. And it's to the point where like they are aggressively passionate when you're walking up the half pipe to take your run. Like... It's yes. insane. The, the energy is just out of control. So to win that, like my first, I won, I think I won it in 94 and then in 97. And that, that, that to me was like my biggest accomplishment in snowboard because it was, it was held in such high regard when I was growing up. And it was, you know, to win the U.S. Open was like a really big deal. It was like a proving ground within the sport. So that for me, that was like my biggest my biggest accomplishment in snowboarding for sure. Incredible. So you've had movies made about you, documentaries, you've been in a ton of videos and now you're living a little different life. You're a father. Oh yeah. Say say hi to Lindsay. (laughs) That's not cool. That is not, it doesn't matter anything that you say right now. That is not cool. You're so lame. You're so lame. So they had no idea who their dad was. Come on guys, wake up. up. It's, it's pretty funny and you can't, I mean, I've never, I'm not, the one to be like, Hey, look at your dad. But like, you know, it's, <laughs> well, it is funny. Your dad is, dude. <laughs> I, I get, I get all the time. I'm like, well, you know, Sean White wasn't competing when you were snowboarding. So like, you're yeah. not that good. Like, so it doesn't so, matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. So, but I mean, SW pre Sean White just does Yeah. It's totally, it's totally how it is, but I don't care. I like it that way. I'd rather have dad be a nerd and whatever. I'm not going to, I'm not appealing to my son's friends. It's like maybe his, son's friend i mean uh, maybe my son's friend's parents 
uh, grew up with me snowboarding. Yeah. Which I think that's cooler anyway. So let me thread the theme of the show back into this. And I have two separate questions, same question, but from different perspectives mm -hmm. in terms of what it takes to compete at the highest level in snowboarding surfing and all, all the, the sports we're talking about today. Talk me through what kind of mental toughness, what type of mindset, what type of commitment does it take? And I imagine, and we've talked about but from what I know, it's like any other professional sport. But I'd like to hear if there were people that are coming up in the sport and wanting to compete, what is it really going to take to, to um, get, get in the game? I think, to, think my biggest advice I give kids now that I've, you know, unsolicited or solicited advice from me is embrace failure. Because I think that it's the ultimate teacher. And it's very cliche to say because everyone talks about how, you know, you have to accept your failures. But really in snowboarding, failure is the, it's a door opening to show you what, what maybe needs to be changed within a trick. Because if you don't land a trick, it means you failed to do one of the mechanics in the air that will have you landing back on your feet. So I would always look at it as find the failure. You find the failure, you find the keyhole that can unlock a trick. And it really was like, it, it, it played out like that through contests. Like for a long time, I was constantly getting third and fourth place. It was always third and fourth. I could never break that barrier. And, you know, finally it was like, find the failure. Why? Why can't you? And a lot of times it's because you don't believe that you can do well. You don't believe that you can win. And so I think it's number one, it's, it's find your failure and perseverance. Don't yeah. be discouraged by those failures, embrace them and, and kind of just charge for it. I mean, there's no way I'd be where I am right now. If I listened to every mom, dad, aunt, uncle, you know, peer from high school that said, you know, skateboarding's lame. Yeah. yeah that's and not cool. I, I love that sentiment. And I hear that a lot about people that succeed in every field. It's like it, persistence and failure are, key elements. You got to keep getting up and keep failing and keep fighting through it and learning how to improve from the failures. Mm -hmm. And that's the name of the game. Now, let me ask you this question in a different way. Uh, put your parent hat on for advice. It's now a huge sport. It's now a huge cultural, I guess, sport. People mm -hmm. are growing up and there's, sock, there's snowboard moms and skate moms and surf moms just like soccer and baseball and there's clubs and this and it's ultra competitive. What is your advice to parents whose kids are into it? Because I, being an athlete in baseball and football, I see it with the club sports and it always frustrates me and I always say, guys, don't overdo it. Let your kid learn the lessons. The lessons are going to learn from this, from sports are going to just take them so far in life. Don't worry mm -hmm. about them being the one in a million that makes it all the way. That's going to, you know, don't focus on that. I always say focus on the lessons and the good things that come from it and enjoying the love of the game, the love of the sport. But what is your advice growing up where you are, being a parent where you are, where everyone wants to be a pro surfer, pro skater, uh -huh. pro snowboarder? What would you say is good advice to keep parents grounded so that they can sort of best teach their kids how to how to approach things. I, I say be the net that's underneath the kids and let, and give them the tools that, that they ask for. Don't shove it down their throat. Well, like you need to, you need to do this. You need to do this. I mean, I almost wouldn't wish, um, pro skating, snowboarding or surfing 
on, I, I would not want my kids to follow that, especially because in, you know, you're navigating, uh, the terrain of Instagram and people that are cutting you off at the knees with a comment because people, I mean, you and I I grew up in a, in a, in a time where we had really, really thick backbones and you can take, you could take the punches kids these days. They can't take the punches. You know, it's a comment. We'll take them out at the knees and they don't want to leave their room for four days. And that's just six words on a, from space. So what I kind of say these days is that is let kids progress at their own rate. If, if the kids want it, encourage it, but don't push them to learn tricks at an accelerated rate. Just let, let it happen naturally. And it's, you know, there's been a lot of talk recently about like flow state, how to, how to get into the flow state where everything is just happening. And it's, yeah. and it's this, this, you know, you ride the rainbow, get the the zone. Zone. Yeah. you won't get to the zone. You can't cram a square peg in a round hole. So let your kids discover, you know, if, if you're, if your son is into skateboarding, who knows, he might discover BMX and all of a sudden become the best freaking mountain biker in the world, yeah. but just let it happen organically. Don't, don't try so hard to create yourself in them. And, yeah. the, and you see that a lot. It's like, you know, the, the parents wanted to be something they didn't get there. So they're, they're kind of living out their fantasy through their kids. And yeah, I see that every weekend, every you're weekend. You're seeing it like we've seen for generations of fathers that were forcing their kids into football or baseball or soccer. We've seen it in, in, our, in generations, but now we're seeing it with skating right. and snowboarding and surfing. And sure. I, I think it's a good point. It's like, let the kid develop. If they're a freak of nature or if they have the passion and work ethic, they will t- they'll take yeah. it to the next level. But even if they don't, let them enjoy the love of the sport. Let them enjoy being outside. Let them get the exercise. Let them learn the lessons of failure and challenging themselves. There's such wonderful lessons in all these different activities and sports. You don't have to just make it and go on tour and be pro by the time you're 14. Uh, And I guess that's that's where I I was getting it. It's glad to hear that, uh, hear your take on it. What do you see now for the future of the sport? Uh, in the next 10, 20 years, are we just more fierce and possible tricks that you can't think of? New I, equipment that changes the game? Like, what, what, what's mean, your the, crystal ball tell you? Uh, well, you know, it is the, the equipment thing has come such leaps and bounds since when I started. I mean, the equipment basically, like, didn't really work that well. You know, yeah. we didn't really have uh, weatherproof gear. You know, we were just, it kind of looked like a jacket, but it was basically a sponge and would only work work at Big Bear and then when it was sunny out. But now you've got, you've got incredible gear. You have, um, you know, boots that are comfortable, snowboards that tailor to different riding levels um, that you can, you can learn on and then gradually increase, you know, your, your edge awareness on very, very easily. So the, I guess the learning curve is a lot mellower now. So I think that that's going to continue. I think it's going to continue to bring in, uh, you know, influence the way that that mountains look at their terrain. Um, I think it's going to in- continue to influence the way that, um, you know, the, the progression of not only what happens above the lip, but the progression as far as like, you know, changing the social aspects of the sport and what, you know, yeah. what is the social dynamic of snowboarding? Where does that live? Where does like the social dynamic of skateboarding, surfing and snowboarding live within our culture as far as getting kids outside? Because, 
you know, we, we talk about this a lot in our industry is that the, the brands don't compete against each other anymore. The brands are competing against Fortnite. The brands yeah. are competing against Call of Duty. The brands are competing our devices. against our yeah. devices. So that's, that's, we need to take them out. So, yeah. you know, hopefully in the next few years and, you know, looking at the crystal ball that the allure of being outside and being in nature and, and being doing something active will continue to, to pull people in because I agree. You know, it, it's scary right now as far and as And I that. hope that um, the parents will have the awareness to say, hey, look, my kid might hate baseball or football, but they love skating and surfing. Yeah. And you can do, you know, it just you as do much it. do it all. Yeah. It's incredible exercise. It's incredible life lessons. You're outside. It's important. It's, it's so important. I hope they, uh, parents embrace it as much uh, as the kids do. So here's a fun question before we wrap up. Sure. What would you do? It's a perfect day, uh, head high swell at Beacons, hollow, warm, the water's 75, so you can go out there, mm -hmm. or it just dumps a foot of powder, it's a perfect day on the hill. I'm going in the water. There's you, no, you're there's no, there's no, that's it, you're going um, in the water. Yeah, I'm going in the water. That's my boy. Yeah, it's, it's so funny because <laughs> I, I, and I think we talked about this at dinner a little while ago, is that <laughs> for, for surfing, surfing is, it's the most fun you'll ever have being constantly frustrated. And it's There's nothing like it. <laughs> there really isn't anything like it. It's, and you know, it's like unwrapping a Christmas present every three minutes. Like, yes. I don't know what this one's going to be like. It's just, yeah. it's that constant search of like, there's something better around the corner. Yeah. And I think that's what keeps me going. It's, that's what lights my fire these days. I've, I've, done snowboarding for so long and I you know now that I work in the industry as far as like calling tricks and being on TV doing the commentating I, snowboarding is it's so predictable to me <laughs> there is nothing predictable about surfing because you no. got to deal with the elements the ocean oh. there's like marine predators in the yeah. water you getting got, caught you know, inside there's nothing totally. predictable about that <laughs> there's a million different things and that's what I like I like the unpredictability about it it's, by the way your daughter is still snowboarding right yeah, my daughter snowboards. My son, I mean, my son and my daughter snowboard. They are social snowboarders. My son is, uh, you know, he likes surfing more. He's really into mountain biking and BMX now. So yeah. he's like, he, we're, we have Get entered outdoors in, any way you can. Right. But we have now entered the, the um, era of clavicle injuries oh, and, no. and wrist injuries. So Over this the is, handlebars. Yeah. yeah, this is a new fun time for me in the ER. So. Yeah. Oh no, no, you don't want to go to the ER now. No, <laughs> actually, it's not, we actually went two weeks ago. It's not that bad. There's no, <laughs> no one in one's there. It. There's no, no one in there. there. Hey, well, Todd, find me uh, a house that we can stay at this summer. Any, anything in Encinitas. Oh, I got we, it. There's one right across the street. We need to. We want to get out of here, and I want to surf with you and Beacon. Let's do it. I appreciate yep. you spending some time with us. You are a true mensch, a legend Thanks, in the sports industry. Love hanging out with you, and I appreciate you. We'll see you soon. Get us that house. I'm coming. All right, I'm getting okay. the kids and we're coming. <laughs> Thanks, homie. We'll see you later. Take All care. Right, thanks. Bye-bye. Bye, buddy. Hey guys, thanks for listening. You can always reach Todd Richards at B Todd Richards on Instagram. You can always reach us at The Deal Pod or at Danny Brown LA. We are charting on Apple Podcasts, so please tell people you know to tune in, subscribe, and leave a comment. Each one counts. 
man, that was an amazing story, man. It just shows you in any sport, you got you got to work hard, you got to have grit, you got to be consistent. And uh, it was just a fabulous time hanging out with Todd and getting his take on the early days of professional snowboarding and how they really, uh, you know, how it's really evolved into this massive culture and this massive sport. Hey guys, if you missed us last week, we had Kevin Millar, World Series champion, Boston Red Sox, the man that coined Cowboy Up. We have a lot of other cool episodes, so tune in. Uh, you can always find us at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, anywhere you consume your podcast. And the video you can always see at YouTube. We appreciate it. We're having a big, big growth in subscribers and downloads. Keep it up. Thanks. We appreciate the support. Be safe. Talk to you guys soon. Out.